Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, friend, and good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you are listening to this. Uh, this is Brayden, as always, your host of the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast. And today we are talking about some tips to deal with non-paying clients. We've all had them or eventually will have them. So we're going to talk about it. Um, before we get started, though, I wanted to remind all of you that our law firm is officially open, the Not Your Average Law Firm, not AVG Law for short, not Average Law. You can check it out if you haven't already at notavglaw.com. It's been um, super fun. We had our launch party, I said it'll be two weeks ago at the time this podcast episode releases, and it's been kind of a whirlwind already. We've already signed like three or four trademark clients, a handful of tax return clients, uh, some new bookkeeping clients, uh, eight people in our legal subscription membership. We've done three VIP days and booked another one. Um, so it's been really awesome. What I want to talk about today, though, um, is a little bit more about the legal subscription. So with this, t- with today's topic and the, the topics for the next couple of weeks, we're using them to uh, promote the legal subscription. I think you all kind of, you know, you're savvy business owners. You realize how this works, right? Usually with each kind of podcast topic, it has a tie into something that we offer because, you know, we're in business to sell stuff and you all need some help. So sometimes you might be able to listen to a podcast episode and get everything you need, in which case that's fabulous. Whereas another listener might listen to that and they're like, oh shit, I really do need a lot more help with this. I should hire these people. And then the next episode, the roles may be reversed. You might need to hire us and the other person might get everything they need from that episode. So that's the beautiful thing about having the podcast out there uh, in the world. I'm sure there are lots and lots of people who listen to it and I never hear from them and they learn a lot, at least I hope so. And then there are other folks who really learn um, what they should be doing and realize that they're not doing some things that they should be doing. Or I just heard this the other day, there's definitely some things that you know you need to be doing, but you know you keep tuning in, and eventually you you get the the courage or the uh, motivation to take action. So uh, we did launch, like I mentioned, a legal subscription. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it at the end. But we have eight people signed up so far. Um, I was really hoping to get 25 founding members by the end of the month. That might be a stretch, but I think we'll probably get to at least like 15, 20. If you want to be one of those folks and you have any questions, just let me um, know, but I'll share some more info at the end. So at this point, several years into my business, helping people who've been in business for a long time with their client issues, I have just about seen it all. And if you are active in any kind of Facebook group for small businesses, you've probably seen a lot of stuff too. You probably talked to some of your friends about some client horror stories they've had. You've probably had some of your own. There are lots. I also originally thought about getting into competitor horror stories today um, because I've had several of those in the past few weeks, but I decided I'm going to save that for next week. So next week, we're going to talk about how to deal with copycats. Today, we're going to focus on our 
on the client side of thing where a lot of our drama comes from non-paying clients. And then kind of the flip side of that is refund requests, because oftentimes it's like they're refusing to pay you the rest of the balance and they're requesting a refund because they think they're entitled to that for some reason. So a lot of this can be solved. Well, you know, I think you probably get this right. It's kind of a pipe dream to say that we can solve everything with a contract because we can't, but contracts solid boundaries and good communication can solve, you know, like 90 to 95% of our problems, right? I think most of you, maybe let me know if you agree, but I think most of us are pretty smooth sailing with 90% of our clients, you know, maybe 50% of our clients are great. And the next 40% are like a little bit difficult, but we don't have any legitimate issues. And then we have, you know, maybe like seven to 9% who are kind of a pain in the ass, but you know, they eventually pay their bills and everything shakes out. And then there's that, you know, like one to 3% that are going to be the real, the real problem people that we might have to refund or whatever. So we're talking more about these last two categories of people. So I've shared, I have this kind of as a case study on my website, but this was, this was a while ago. And I think this is kind of a common example this was actually before, like before COVID. So during COVID, we had lots of refund issues. We were talking about, we can talk about that more too. But this was before COVID. Uh, I worked with a really well-established photographer. Um, She was fully booked. She was really busy. She had great reviews. And she worked this wedding where she said everything went great. It was her. She had a second photographer, like present at the day as part of the package. And a year later, like over a year after the wedding happened, like we're talking, you know, at least eight months after the photos have been delivered, the client got back and said, you know, we had some family issues shortly after the wedding. So we weren't really, you know, focused on things. We didn't comb through the gallery that carefully. And I'm just now getting around to it. And it's missing like all these photos that I was hoping to have, like very specific shots she wanted to have. And she asked for, I think she asked for a full refund, which was wild. And what we ended up doing was I talked to the photographer and I was like, what do you want to do? And, and she was like, well, I just wanted it to go away because I'm not confrontational. I don't like stress. And she looked at the list of the photos and some of them were reasonable. Some were unreasonable, right? There's like certain photographs you always expect to get uh, at a wedding, you know, insert examples here. Um, but others were, you know, it's like you, you can't really, you can't really... Uh, stage certain candid photos. I guess you can, right? But if they're like super obscure, how would you have them on the shot list to begin with if you if you even work on a shot list? I think you all get the picture. But what ended up, what the reasonable solution for that one ended up being was that a few of the expected photos, the photographer was like, yeah, you know what? These are reasonable. Like ideally we would have had them in there. Like our contract gives no guarantees. You should never guarantee certain shots because you never know if someone's going to like get in your way at an inopportune time, yada, yada. Um, but because a few shots were missing, the photographer was like, well, I reasonably like if I look back, I can reasonably think and assume that those were photographs that the second photographer probably should have gotten. I worked with a newer second photographer at the time. So maybe they just, you know, weren't in the right position at the right time, something like that. So the compromise to that client was, I will refund you the amount of money that you paid for the second photographer, which was like, I think $800 out of the like $5,000 package. And the client accepted. And I think she also like tossed in a photo album or something. So $800 refund and photo album. And then we uh, signed a release agreement. So a contract 
with that client where the client agreed not to pursue any legal action and it was resolved within a few days. So that's an example uh, of kind of a reasonable compromise you can come to with, with your clients. Um, we also had a situation, this was with a member in Profit RX, which this may have been in my previous membership, but I, I don't recall. This was during COVID and this, <laughs> I think a lot of you that dealt in the event industry in particular probably had this one. This client had a wedding client who just simply stopped responding to emails. Like they emailed 30 days out, you know, three weeks out, two weeks out, one week out. And then like, you know, several times during the week of what, when the wedding was supposed to be, because this was during like peak COVID. So the wedding probably wasn't happening, but I also don't think that it was like banned under local ordinances. So it could have happened if they really wanted to make it happen. Um, but the vendor, the vendor, the member in our membership, we'll call them the vendor, uh, was like, we don't know if the event's happening. We haven't heard anything. So with a few days left, they just canceled the contract and they didn't end up hearing from uh, this from their client until over three months later. And they asked for a full refund and they were like, absolutely not. And um, that one, they ended up, I thought, I thought this was really interesting. They ended up getting an invitation to go on Judge Judy. I never realized this is how it works, but I've heard from several people now that they've gotten invitations to go on Judge Judy. And what they do is they comb through, I'm assuming, this is my assumption, they comb through small uh, small claims court filings. So this client had sued the wedding vendor, filed suit in small claims court. Judge Judy must have found that and they sent an invitation because, of course, you know, couple cancels wedding during COVID, sues wedding vendor vendor because vendor won't give the money back. I feel like they're oftentimes trying to make the vendors out to be the bad guys in this scenario, but that would have made a pretty like a pretty nice case on Judge Judy, but they turned it down and they ended up going to small claims court and mediating and reaching a resolution that way. So that's another way these circumstances can kind of shake out as well. I also did, I'm pretty sure I did a podcast a while ago. We'll have to see if we can find it and put it in the show notes. But there was a wedding planner in California who went on Judge Judy for a very similar circumstance. And that one I found very interesting because the client, it was for wedding management. The planner called it day of coordination. And essentially her client was arguing on Judge Judy, well, the wedding never happened. You never coordinated my wedding. And the wedding planner was like, well, the wedding isn't like the entirety of the coordination. It's a lot of the planning that happens beforehand. And her contract um, basically just said something to the effect of if, uh, the planner will refund the money if the money's like not been earned or it's, you know, no refunds after the money's been earned. So essentially like you're, you're not getting a refund after we've done the work and judge Judy, I'm pretty sure I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but I'm pretty positive. Judge Judy just determined, no, the wedding planner has been doing work. She showed me all the emails she sent for you. She scheduled stuff. You're not getting, so judge Judy said, you know, you're not getting a refund. So that was a nice case study to see how the contract actually held up uh, in court as well. Um, non-payment. So those were some refund stories. Non-payment, uh, is a little bit different, but, but similar can often be remedied by a demand letter. So demand letter is just a legal letter that says we demand you to do something. 
the sister to a demand letter is a cease and desist letter. So a, C a demand letter says you have to do this and a cease and desist says you have to stop doing this. That's really the difference. So if someone was stealing your brand name, you'd send them a cease and desist to say, hey, like slap on the wrist, don't do that. A demand letter is like, hey, I, hey, like fuck you, pay me basically, right? Um, so ideally before we send a demand letter, like you want to go through all of your informal hoops. So before anyone reaches out to me to get involved, I would assume that they've already, you know, send the invoice and at least probably sent like two follow-ups, maybe three follow-ups, right? Like a courtesy follow-up three days later, a follow-up one week later, a follow-up another week or two later. And then maybe even I would send like, okay, so that would be the three follow-ups, right? I would do that. And then before involving an attorney or when you involve an attorney, what I'll often tell people is to send one more email that basically says, Hey, um, I'm planning on contacting my attorney to help me collect payment on this. Uh, this is just, you know, one final attempt for me to try to amicably collect this payment. And folks in our legal subscription, I help them draft that email for them to send on their own behalf because sometimes that works a little bit better depending on the personality of your client than having uh, me send a letter from my law firm email address. And the only reason I say that is because every once in a while, if I send an email from my law firm email address, the client is like, oh shit, they have a lawyer. Now I need to get a lawyer. And you know, maybe they're married to a lawyer. Maybe they are one themselves. Maybe they have a dad or an aunt or a cousin who is a lawyer. And now they're going to get them involved. And now it's just, you know, very unnecessarily complicated. But sometimes that can be a really good idea. So I just had uh, one of our new clients in the legal subscription last week. She was dealing with this. She had a client who owed an invoice. I believe it was in November. And she sent, I think, around six reminder emails. And, you know, in January and in February, the client's responses were, yeah, it's been, you know, we've been in a financially tough spot. We're sorry. We'll get you paid next week. Next week comes no payment. You know how that goes. So I just sent a very simple email from my law firm email address to this client and basically, you know, said, hey, I represent so-and-so. Can you please let us know when we can expect payment? And it was paid the next day. So that was a made a great case study for, for the legal subscription for sure. Um, so another thing to keep in mind when you're dealing with these non-payments, so I, I kind of told you the email process I would go through when to involve, involve a lawyer. If that client had not responded to my email and had not paid, that's when we would then send a demand letter. And then in the demand letter, we would quote the contract. Hopefully you have one. Um, sometimes we'll cite to actual legal, like legal code under the state, you know, to say under these different code sections or case law, this is deemed a breach of contract. We have a legal claim against you. And then you always state, you give them one more opportunity to pay and you state what will happen if they don't pay. So please pay your invoice by, you know, three weeks from now, or we will be filing suit against you in this court. And that's what the demand letter does. Very rarely do we actually have to go to that, but you know, it, it happens. So when we're talking about which court you're going to take someone to, um, that is often dealt with in your contract. So ideally you have a choice of venue provision, a choice of law provision, 
And then also an alternative dispute resolution provision. So choice of law says, you know, this contract is governed under the laws of the state of California. Uh, if anyone is to sue, it needs to take place within the county of San Diego. That's where I live. Uh, insert your own county. That would be your choice of venue. And then dispute resolution would be we agree to arbitration. We agree to mediation. We agree to whatever. I see a lot of contracts with arbitration provisions in them. I don't like them. If you have one, depending on what business or industry you're in, I would consider removing it. Arbitration is essentially, it's considered an expedited version of what I call real court of, you know, filing in a superior court, but it's still expensive and lawyers are still involved and it's still a pretty prolonged process. Mediation and small claims score are a lot quicker. So small claims court is going to look a lot like Judge Judy, or if you've ever been to traffic court, it's going to look a lot more like that or family court. These are all more informal courts where you can walk in. Uh, you're going to be allotted, you know, 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes for your case. The judge is going to just ask you questions, ask for documentation, and then they're going to make a decision right then and there. So it's relatively quick. Like you have to serve, uh, do service a process to the person that you want to sue. They have to show up. Uh, if they don't show up, you can get a judgment rendered against them. Uh, a lot of small claims courts offer mediation. I actually did that when I was in law school. I took a mediation clinic and I was a mediator in the small claims court. So folks would come in and we would actually mediate their cases if they volunteered to do that before they went to court. I actually did one. We did a mediation for, this was wild. It was a wedding and it was mom and bride against a golf course basically and they sued the, they sued the golf course because the golf course had a celebrity golf tournament there that day and the uh, plaintiffs were basically upset because a lot of the uh, attendees at the wedding like left the reception to go like want to meet all the professional golfers and <laughs> Basically, the case, the, the golf course was like, well, you didn't sign an exclusivity contract. Like there was multiple areas to our venue. You only booked one one area. So that was interesting. We mediated, we mediated that. But long story short, what I'm trying to get at here is I typically recommend small claims court. Like if you're ever going to actually sue someone in the state of California, small claims courts um, handle any claims for $10,000 or less. And attorneys are not allowed in small claims court, which is a good thing. I think, because if you have to go to like, again, I'm going to call it a real court, then the other party is probably going to have an attorney, you'll need to get an attorney. And now you're talking about like, you're going to spend tens of thousands of dollars just on the legal claim, whereas small claims courts going to cost you, you know, like $150 to file and $100 to have the person served. And then you go to court and you have your day and it's it's done. The other alternative would be a mediation, which for that you're talking, you know, a few hundred dollars an hour, probably, and most mediators will book in half day increments. So about a thousand, probably, you know, 700 to $2,000 is what it would cost you. And oftentimes the parties will split that. So mediation, I think small claims court is good anytime you're dealing with contracts like under 10 grand. And I would do mediation anytime you're, you know, between like 10 and 50, something like that. Once we're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's when arbitration and more formal legal processes can make sense. But even then you'd mediate, you would mediate first. Um, I've sat in mediations for, you know, one person wants a million dollars, 
one person, you know, only wants to give 50, you settle for like 300, whatever. Okay. So there are some examples. I got a little bit confused halfway through because I had some other examples that I wanted to go through, but then I realized that those don't really fit today's topic because I decided to put them in a different week. So I'm going to copy and paste those over. You can stay tuned for those stories and examples. Hopefully some of these stories were helpful to you. I don't know. Get your wheels turning, turning on some things that you can do. If you need more help, if you're already a ProfitRx member, I've been promising you all a bonus course called The Client Cure for some months now. It is coming eventually. Um, probably, I'm probably just going to go ahead and say summer. I'm going to work on it this summer because things keep happening. Right now it's tax season. With the law firm launch and tax season, it's just I can only create so many things at once. So that will be coming. And in there, we're going to have a lot of templates for these kind of things. Um, meanwhile, if you want an attorney in your back pocket to help you with these kind of issues, among many, many others, to ask questions whenever you have them via email, you can check out our legal subscription. It is $200 a month. You can find more information at notavglaw.com. Message me on Instagram if you have questions. But we're going to be running our founding members launch to the end of the month, the end of March. Um, I still haven't really figured what we're doing for founding members. Basically, you just get to call yourself a founding member. And I'm probably going to like mail you something fun. Um, so that's your incentive to join sooner rather than later. I know it's not much, but you know, maybe a enough to get you to, to sign up now rather than like wait a month or two before shit really hits the fan with the client. Uh, the other thing that our subscription folks get is they get a preferred rate on all of our one-on-one -on -one services, which is fabulous. So uh, if you ever want to hire us for a tax return or for a trademark, you get a little bit of a benefit there as well. So that's all for today's episode. Um, I have to go prep for a meeting with some of our bookkeeping clients. Got a lot to do today. It's going to be super fun. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to like, share, subscribe, um, do all the things, share on Instagram stories. That's always super helpful. Give me a tag. I would love it so, so much. And I'll be back in your podcast app next week for a new one. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.